Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, the everything store for all of your post-apocalyptic needs. Just because civilization has collapsed doesn't mean that your stylish sense of home decor has to. And remember, if you get 10 punches on your extinction loyalty card, you'll get priority seating on the next armored tank out of town. Our prices are so low, you'd never know that society is in the midst of a widespread catastrophic freefall. Shop Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, where chaos enters and impeccable style leaves. Patent pending. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Give him a brand. Yes. Yes. Giving you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High football. Built to right center. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. I, of course, am your host, Dylan Short, and joined, as always, by my partner in crime, the best in the business, Doc. What's going on, Doc? Hey, Dylan. How are you, buddy? You know, I would say I'm doing well, but that doesn't really describe it. Whenever I get to do this show and have somebody with a knowledge base like Doc, it's always a great day. Uh, You're going to make me blush kind of the point as always i like to be kind to my co-host and we're joined today by maybe one of the most intelligent braves fans in the entire braves community totally <laughs> as you hear him right there garav vidak <laughs> uh, from talking chop and the road to atlanta podcast garav what's going on buddy not too much man happy to be on here with you guys and talking some baseball i mean this might be I think this is the second time I've ever actually spoken to you outside of that fun, uh, that uh, fantasy baseball draft that we all did. That was very entertaining. <laughs> right? But anyway, we brought Garav on because there's really, there's there's very few other voices that you want to get onto your podcast when you're discussing players and and really any part of the Braves, be it minor leagues, organizational depth, whatever it is, Garav knows it all. So... In a season like what we're having right now, it's fun to have everybody on because there's really nothing negative to say. Now, if you're like yeah, me, 
if if you're like me, you can find some negative stuff to say because I've I, I can be kind of a negative Nancy sometimes. But not today, sir. Not today. So before we get too deep into this, let's go ahead and start off with what was one of the craziest things and one of the coolest things to happen, in my opinion, this entire season. And that was that crazy comeback on Sunday. Were you guys watching it? I missed it. I know. I hated it. I read about it as soon as I got home, and I was so sad that I missed the entire thing. Doc, did you get to uh, see it live? You know, I had kept up with the the first little bit of it. My wife and I had done kind of our, our Sunday... Sunday prep, and then I checked the score. It was six to nothing, and I just kind of thought, well, maybe it's just one of those games. And then uh, I was getting ready to go to Willie Nelson, uh, and I was getting ready to, to leave the house, check the score one more time. It was uh, nine to six, and then yeah, left. It was nine to seven. And the next thing you know, I'm looking like, how did they wind up coming back from this? And I spent, um, I probably watched the that video of the the ninth inning eight or nine times just because it, it gave me so much joy i was at work throughout the whole thing so i didn't get to watch it live my wife is going crazy and like texting me and calling me because now that's that's another mark about just how good this braves team is that she's actually watching baseball without me there to turn it on um so i had to watch the replay and when you talk about having an inning that was incredible and to do all that with two outs i was I was blown away, and I was born in 91, so my reminiscing on the older Braves is more looking back at what they did as opposed to being able to be in that moment. But this team, I feel like they share a lot of similarities with that 91 squad. I think my... I'm sorry, just real quick. I think my favorite stat from that game, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was like the Braves were down to their final strike. I think it was nine times during the course of that ninth inning and still managed to win. Just That was a very uplifting. And just like you said, Doug, I think I watched the final inning probably about nine or ten times before I went to sleep. And just watching everybody chase Dansby out into the outfield. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just it's pure joy. And, you know, I was I was nine years old for that for that 1991 team. So I, I can't really speak to the similarities between you know from my own memories of of the early part of that season but but everything that that you read is just talking about how it was just it came out of nowhere nobody expect i mean it's it's mm-hmm. such a similar art between the two and and who knows that who knows what could wind up happening this this team is real we we've talked about is it real? How, how much do you buy into this hot start? And you keep wanting to back it off when you see a game like when they got shut out against Pavetta the other night. And then they come back and they, they win last night, too. So, I mean, there's – I don't know. There's something really, really special going on with this team. It's a very cool feeling. When I, when I talk about it being similar to 91, it's insofar as the fact is it's, nobody, nobody really – expected this you've always got your your homers who will tell you every season that the brave that they think the braves are going to win the world series and some of them are honestly expecting it even that that even though it's not feasible or means they don't really get into baseball very much but for those of us that follow the game and those of us that follow trends and follow the minors we all thought it was going to be next year 2019 that's that's the year well it like Doc just said, this team is past the point where you kind of give that qualifier, eh, it's early. You've got an actual, real, sustainable measure of of success right now, and it hasn't been against nobody's. They've had one of the toughest schedules in the entire major leagues. 
this is a real team, and it's getting really hard as we get closer and closer to the all-star break and the trade deadline. You look around, and for the first time in what feels like a decade, you look around, and there's not really any holes that you look at filling from this 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 club. There's only like two or three or four teams that you look at and go, yeah, okay, they're they're trade candidates. Their guy's better than our guy. For the mo- for the most part, this is an extremely balanced team. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of weird. I've been with with you know the draft coming up and then All Star game coming up. You try and think of potential additions, and of course the loaded class, the loaded free agent class for next year. And you try and think of places where you can spend money because the Braves have what like thirty million in payroll coming into next year. And you try to think of places where they can significantly upgrade where it actually be worth the money. And outside of you know the, like the Machados and the Harpers, you look across the entire roster and you're like, okay, well we can actually give this young guy a shot and then save that money and go somewhere else. And I'm trying to rack my brain, figuring out like where we can improve. And I've come to the conclusion, like for me personally, I want to see us spend almost, not almost all the money on, of course I would like some on my carpet or something like that. But, uh, I kind of want to see us go all in on some, like some really high, uh, high leverage relievers. I think that's really the only place where I can see us using a lot of money. That's what I. That's and I've actually. I was kind of doing the same thing as you were. I was looking around at the free agency class, uh, and while it is loaded with some with some uber superstars that are not supposed to make it to the free agent market, the the depth in some of the other positions is not really what you're looking at. Not enough to where I'd say that they're better than what they are. But to that point, I was more interested. I'm more interested in shelling out. If you're going to shell out the thirty million. Andrew Miller and Craig Kimbrell, you can make a full court press on Andrew Miller and get him here in Atlanta, which would be immeasurable just for the simple point of maybe Sam Freeman wouldn't have to be used every single day. Um, since at this rate, Snickers going to have and Snickers going to have to weld a mechanical arm on the Sam Freeman if he's going to make it through this entire season. And there's a there's a lot of reticence for some reason to use Jesse Biddle, um, but a guy like Andrew Miller, he he's a different type of of bullpen piece. There's no doubt that he's one of the best in the biz. You could run him as a closer if you wanted to. But he's so good at coming into any situation. He really was Terry Francona's chess piece in that World Series. And if it weren't for that one bad game, I mean, Andrew Miller, if the Indians had won the World Series, Andrew Miller may have ended up their MVP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can I can throw out a couple other names. Uh, I'd, I'd like us to pursue how you said Kimbrell. Which of course, like that, it's like a dream scenario almost, right? Come back when it's uh, time to so, win. Yeah, you got Cody Allen as well, also from the Indians. Kelvin Herrera is having a great year over in Kansas City. Like there are, there are definitely opportunities where we can significantly upgrade this bullpen. Uh, well, if you don't give the money to someone like Kimbrel or Miller, you can still uh, upgrade the the, the uh, relief core without spending too much money as well. And Anthopolis was always kind of everybody talks about the trades that he made, and the, I think the biggest free agent signing that he did when he was in Toronto was Russell Martin, which was eighty five million dollars. And even that, some of that was uh, just bringing bringing home the uh, the hometown kid. But he was also working with limited payroll constraints up there. So between the fact that that the Braves are going to have you know fifty million dollars to spend in on free agents next year, I think you could probably land one or two different big fish. And I I know Mm -hmm. that, you know, the Cubs, the, the Dodgers, the Yankees, they're all going to have the inside track on Harper, but I'm not so convinced that's that far fetched. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I just, you look at this lineup, you see what it's doing right now. And you add, you add the next wave of guys that are coming in, whether it's through free agency or the next round of prospects, because you're going to wind up plugging in Riley sometime in the next 365 days. I mean, that's, that's the big power bat right there. And that's going to cost you 550,000 next year instead of 30 million. So and I was, I was to your point, Doc. I was talking to uh, uh, a guy who follows the Blue Jays closely and writes for them, and Ian Hunter, uh, right when Anthopolis got hired, and he kind of echoed the exact sentiments that I was talking about. Uh, Anthopolis being kind of aggressive with the prospects and whether we could see him trade a lot of the prospects. And to his point, he was saying that it had more to do with the fact that it was a limited payroll and that it's really hard to get somebody to want to come to Toronto. So that he had to get creative with his trades and getting some guys that were falling out of favor and, and blah, blah, blah. This is going to be, this is a GM's dream this off season. Either way that you slice it, there's not really a wrong move to make. Now, obviously moves can simply just not work. But when you look at if they stand pat, you've got one of the best farm systems in baseball and one probably the most ready farm system in the game. If you go out and you get some some bona fide stars, you have plenty of money to do that. You've got the young talent base that should attract plenty of people, especially wanting to come in the NL because there's not many teams in the NL right now that you can definitively say are better than Atlanta right now, much less with a year under their belt. Or if you just want to kind of upgrade your own depth, you can do that too. And there's really, there's really no wrong move here. I don't know who to thank for it. I don't know if we still thank Copy for this or or whatever. But I'm in a good place right now as far as being a Braves fan. It's weird not having much to complain about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great, different. man. It's yeah. It's you. You look at. You look at guys like Ozzy, who have, you know, I think we all knew that Ozzy was going to have a good season, but I, I've, he's already hit more home runs than I thought he was going to hit all season. And even though <clears throat> Acuna is kind of in a tiny little slump right now, I mean, just the fact that he's up at all and he's 20 and you can still dream on, you know, he's still as young as, as young as anybody except for Soto. You know, he's there's just so, so much to be excited about. And I said this last week, and I think the week before that, this is just the beginning. You know what I mean? For as exciting as it is now, five, six, seven years, we get to we get to watch these guys playing together. So. And if any of you were listening to 680 this morning, we're recording this on Wednesday, by the way. So if you're listening, if you were listening to 680 this morning, uh, I, I did a segment talking with the guys about this very thing, about Ozzy Albies and about Acuna, about Juan Soto, about the the sudden influx of ridiculous young talent. And you look at Ozzy Albies, he's got 14 homers right now. You realize he hit 16 his entire minor league career? He's going to pass that by the All-Star break. <laughs> Not only that, if I were to tell you that he had a higher ISO than Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge, because he does, Ozzy Albies has a 300 ISO right now. I would have said that makes sense. That is not supposed to happen. <laughs> I um, what, what's great with with the evolution of Ozzy is you you saw it happen a little bit last year where he became a little more aggressive. He added that exaggerated leg kick. He was able to stay back a little more, and he was able to elevate more. And you saw him progress from what it was once, and I mean, there's totally value in this, but he was, you know, your line drive type 
left hitter because he all he would always seems like he would um, get over or just like slightly tilt over forward a little bit and slap that ball down and then use his legs to get to uh, to get on base. But now like he's staying back, he's elevating the ball. I think yeah, you said he got 300 ISO. His BABIP is still is still low considering his speed. So you could project that he's going to be an even better hitter. I still think his walk rate's going to continue to get back to what it was in the in the minors. Like last year, it was it was it was lower than normal, but I still expect him to sit around like seven to eight percent, and I think he's at five and a half percent right now. Uh, you can I still see progression out of him, and I don't think this is his final form. I mean, there's there's no doubt right now that you there's no possible way you could say that he's he's done. He's 21 years old. He's played at this point about three quarters of, or about half of a season, a little bit more than half of a season. There's no doubt that that he still has growing to do. To to that point, I don't necessarily think he's ever going to be a high OPP guy as far as walk rate. Uh, I think what works for him so well is ambushing on the first pitch, which is why he's a perfect leadoff hitter in the new age of baseball. You look at him and a guy like George Springer. Springer will walk more. Ozzy. While Springer still has massive, massive power, I think Ozzy, and this is going to sound crazy to say for a guy at 21 years old, but I think Ozzy, in the next couple of years, and I said this this morning, in the next two to three years, Ozzy will be the best second baseman in the league. I also think he will be the number one most impactful leadoff hitter in the entire game. Yeah, I'm fine with that. He's, uh, he's, you got no debate. he's tracking to be a seven-win player. And uh, he's also tracking to hit 48 home runs this year. Unless Mookie <laughs> Betts gets moved to leadoff, Ozzy is going to run away with it this year. And it, it, it's so much fun to see. And I mentioned this this morning. You're almost approaching a point where forever it's been Freddie Freeman and then everybody else in the Braves. Now, Freddie is amazing. He is very much like Joey Votto, whereas a lot of the league doesn't really understand just how great Freddie Freeman is. Ozzy is challenging Freddie right now for best player on the Braves. There's no doubt in my mind that Ozzy is the most impactful player when you take it as a whole, when you when you run in defense. The fact that anytime Ozzy touches the ball, he, he can run out of base hit, he can stretch a single into a double, which we've seen him do multiple times. And don't discount him going first to third on a on a light little hit to right field. That in and of itself is something that helps the Braves immeasurably. You notice that the Braves this year have a much higher percentage of more of multiple run innings. It's because they're all fast, they're all aggressive on the base paths, and that does mess with the pitcher's head. And Garav, you'd, you'd even mentioned that you thought that he would be a, the leading candidate to start the All Star game. I mean, I had kind of had that thought in my head just because that's a it's a position there's not not a lot of competition, but I think you could be right on. Yeah, I mean, you look over who's who's in the NL um, at second base. Hold on, let me bring that up quick. And uh, I mean, Judd Lowry is really the only second baseman in baseball right now that's putting up similar numbers. And of course, he's all the way in Oakland. Uh, you look at his Fangraphs page right now, 2.2 war leading among all qualified second basemen, and it's not really that particularly close. Uh, and you look at the players behind him, and second place is Azrubal Cabrera, who is having a fantastic year. But, you know, he doesn't really – I wouldn't consider him that he profiles as, like, as big of an offensive juggernaut as Ozzy can. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm fanboying a little bit. But then outside of him, like there really isn't too much. You got Javi Baez, but you know he can either be the freaking greatest hitter in all of baseball, or he can be one of the worst people at the plate. 
And I'm not sure um, I call Javi Baez a second baseman. I, I kind of think of Javi Baez as the fully evolved version of like your Johan Camargos or your super utility guys that can play that everywhere and you want them every day. I don't know that Javi Baez has an actual position. Well, that's fair. I mean, one of fair. And if you do that, then I really don't know who would start over Ozzy. Because now, as it is, as of right now, he leads all second baseman in war. Like, there's no, there's no real competition outside of Mr. Uh, Lowry in Oakland. Who is and having an incredible season. An incredible season from Jed Lowry, by the way. Yeah. Who could have seen that coming? Like, I've been very optimistic on Ozzy, thinking he's going to be a like a fantastic hitter. You kind of the exact opposite of Jed Lowry, and he's just showing out. And the cool thing about Ozzy is he seems to have completely morphed to your point, Garov, where he was a little bit more of the slap type hitter, the, the try to almost like an ender type of hitter of just make contact and let your legs do the work. He's completely morphed. His bat is so much heavier now, and that's pretty, pretty well known now. He uses the heaviest bat on the team. He uses a heavier bat than Freddie Freeman. When he adjusted, you heard them try to talk. Uh, you heard them try to talk on the show last night with uh, Chip and Joe about uh, what Kevin Seitzer says about his hands: were knob to the catcher, barrel to the pitcher. In a nutshell, basically, what that means is you're generating extra torque as you come through. It helps you lift and it gives you more pop. You're talking about a guy that's five seven, one sixty five. You're not talking about. You're not talking about a third baseman. You're not talking about Nolan Arenado, who's all of six two and two forty. You're talking about a guy who is smaller than Jose Altuve, and yet he's generating just as much power. And that, to me, I was hesitant to go there for that comp. At this point in time, there's not another comp out there for Ozzy. <laughs> Still seems sacrilegious. Agree. Still seems sacrilegious totally to agree. say. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, because there's still 115 games left to be played, so it, it will be really interesting to see whether or not pitchers adjust to him. I mean, because one of the, the best things about him when he was coming up through the minors was his ability to adjust. Uh, so even if pitchers adjust to him, then he's going to be able to pick up on that and keep it going. I think what he's doing is sustainable. You know, his bad of his 291, which doesn't include uh, doesn't include the home runs, but even if you, you were to add that back in there, that, that still puts him about at his average career Babbitt. So I think I think he can keep it going. Whether or not he winds up with 48 home runs, I don't know about that. But I think what he's doing is sustainable. I think the same thing. I think Acuna is going to wind up picking it up a, a little bit and getting, some, getting a little bit better luck. I think Newcomb's going to be able to keep doing kind of what he's doing right now. I mean, there's... I'm trying to, to keep from, from fanboying here if I can <laughs> if I can use the term, but I mean this could this could be a ninety win team. That's playoffs, man. That's I I don't know. I mean, Rob, what do you think? Do you think what, that the team can, can keep it sustainable? Yeah, so what I like most about the team is the best players or the best the players with the highest feelings are producing how you expect them to. So it's not like you're having some kind of out-of-body experience with, like, Preston Tucker having, like, a 200 WRC plus type campaign. No, you're getting production from the players that you expect to happen. Or maybe not expect, but are capable of it. Freeman, Albi, Nciarte is playing a lot better now recently. He was, you know, he was he went through a really tough stretch to start off. But now I want to say, uh, I looked at his stats over the past month, and he's, like, the fifth-rated center fielder in all of baseball. Like, um... I think the only aberration really has been the return of Nick Marcakis. 
Uh, I like I'm not going to discredit him. He's been fantastic so far to start the season, and there's nothing else you can say about it. Like that's just how it is. How do you have a walk rate higher than a strikeout rate? Like that's the type of season he's having. And then you look at the pitching, the pitching side. Uh, you know, Fulty and Newcomb are your two probably your two highest ceiling pitchers, and they're pitching the best on the uh, in the rotation. Uh, Winkler has returned to what we thought he might be capable of before the injuries, and he's been even like more insane. Uh, Shane Carl has been a fantastic find. Uh, you know, you're getting production from players that are capable of producing at high levels, and that's why I think this this winning is uh, sustainable over the course of the season. You'll have your rough patches, of course, but then players like Joe Hart are going to come back and they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a force to reckon with. There are a lot of players that I see, uh, a few players in the minor leagues I see that can be taking, I know you guys want to talk about that later, that are that can be taking that next leap and helping out the team. Like, I still think this team can get better. I would fully agree. And you're talking about Johan Camargo, who is another candidate for, for the luck to turn around. He's actually hitting the ball extremely hard and having he's having about the same season that Dansby was last year at this time where it was mostly just bad luck going on. You talk about Camargo seems to figure out how to take a walk. You throw him into that mix as well. Dansby coming back from the wrist injury as he gets kind of, you know, back to being a little bit more comfortable. You'll see what he does there. If he can pick it back up and start making a little bit more consistent contact there, there's not a really, uh, there's not really a hole everywhere else. Ronald is Ronald is struggling, but it's not really hurting you. And that's what's so special right now is you can give Ronald all the time in the world to go through his lumps right now, and it's not affecting you winning games. It's, he's not, you know, losing you any games. He's he's able to quote unquote struggle, and if hitting two sixty as a rookie and and having one of the better clutch factors in the game right now is struggling, then he's in a good spot too. Um, there, there's a lot to like about here, and you mentioned the pitching. Now, Newcomb has been a complete revelation this season, and it has come from a totally different type of concept. Rather than rather than just go out there and do the faulty thing and just throw super hard, Newcomb has taken almost four miles an hour off his average fastball. Last year, he would sit about 95 for his fastball. This year, he's sitting 92-94. Now, if he needs to, he can run it up to 98 but at 92-94, he's got some arm side run. He's also got more control. And when you have more control like that, it helps his fastball play up anyway. So he doesn't have to try to overthrow it. Newcomb has morphed into a pitcher. And that is that is the best compliment I can give him right now. Because I haven't necessarily been the highest person on Newcomb ever. Uh, a lot of it has to do, and I'll, I'll readily admit it, a lot of it has to do with the Angleton thing. Uh, another part of it was I was not real fond of guys that had five walks per nine in their careers but this year it's a totally different guy his demeanor on the mound is totally different his mechanics are are a lot more consistent and he's figured out that that curveball as pretty as it is that's not a go-to pitch in the majors when you have a big looper something that max freed still has to figure out his changeup. while when you look at it it doesn't necessarily profile. It doesn't look like it should be considered above average because he kind of has a tendency to leave it up or leave it a little too much in the zone. But when paired with his fastball and paired with that curve, his changeup has been absolutely dynamite. Oh, yeah, for sure. Sean Newcomb has been a, an absolute revel, uh, revelation. Uh, it's been nice to watch him. Like you talked about his decreased uh, fastball velocity, but then you can tell all that run he's getting on, on the fastball and all the weird looks he's getting. Uh, on on the swings, and it's been amazing. Like the walk rate, still 
not the greatest, but that's just who he is. And plus, he still hasn't pitched that much. You know, he came from a cold weather, um, cold weather place. So there are a lot of games like he just couldn't play because the weather didn't allow him. So he still has to make up for all that last time. And you look at his peripherals right now. You look at, you know, even despite he might be getting lucky with that 239 ERA, you look at his fifth and it's still three. Like, there's a lot to like, and I can see it continuing to get better as he continues to gain more confidence in throwing his off-speed stuff, just like he said. You take out that, that first start, that stinker against Washington. They, he's uh, 5-0, 168 ERA with a 9.68 uh, Ks per nine, 3.72 walks per nine, and FIP is 2.74. He's averaging a game score of 63. I mean, he's Whew. that's the type of reliability that – that you see, that's why you trade a guy like Andrew Simmons to get somebody like this. Uh, Joel Sherman had a, had a column that was talking about how that trade finally looks like it's working out for everybody. So, um, and might be one of the most balanced trades where not only do both teams win, but they both win significantly. And both end up completely happy with what they got and the returns yeah. that they got, which is unheard of in Major League Baseball. But moving from from Newcomb to Fulte, I'm a little I'm a little different on Fulte than a lot of people. I know the the ERA is sterling right now. He's had a lot of starts so far this year where he, where he's actually been pretty good. I do wonder if people are kind of placing undue expectations on Fulte because uh, his FIP and his XFIP still aren't great. His FIP's a 354, which isn't bad. His XFIP is a little bit higher than that. Um, my problems with Fulte run into a couple things. One, he has the the radar gun fastball, and he has the high movement knuckle curve, which are nice to see, and they're pretty. Um, I think it fools a lot of people, though. I think... I don't consider Fulty one of the linchpins of our rotation like a lot of people do. I think Fulty is a guy that people are always going to be waiting for more. I think people look at the stuff, they look at the size, they see that he can throw 100, and they think, man, once this guy figures it out, he's going to be Paxton. Or he's going to be a dominant force in the league. I'm kind of subscribing to the fact that maybe this is actually just Fulty. And he's a guy that'll go on runs like he's doing right now where he's untouchable for, for a while. Um, he'll go on runs where he has that 10 strikeout game. It's going to come with five walks, but he's going to have those those games where nobody can touch him. He'll have those those seven or eight stretches of starts where he's really, really good. And then he'll have starts where you know he can't seem to find the strike zone or he can't put anybody away and things like that. I think Fulty might just be a guy who has a ton of velocity and has a ton of pretty stuff. He still might profile in my mind as more of a, of a bottom end of the rotation guy, because I'm not sure he's ever going to be a guy that's going to consistently go, you know, seven innings. I think he's, you, we see a lot of it. It tends to be his best starts every once in a while. He'll throw a seven inning in there, but for the most start, for the most part, you're seeing five innings or five and a third, maybe five and two thirds. And that seems to be where faulty works best. One thing you can really see in difference from previous years, I mean, he's made 10 starts this year and he's only allowed more than one earned run or two, excuse me, more than two earned runs and one of those starts. And all of those runs came in one inning. So outside of one horrendous inning, which I was at that game, it was horrible. <laughs> he, gave, he gave up six runs in the second inning to the Giants on May the 4th. Outside of that, he has been fantastic. I think... I think if the narrative surrounding him was not, oh, he he pouts while he's on the mound, he does, yeah, he does speak a lot through his body. But you know what? 
people tend to dislike him because of that, and they start dissecting him. So as soon as they see anything from him, then they're like, oh, I don't like that guy. He's too emotional on the mound. He is this version of Fulty. If he's going to pitch like this, he can go in the dugout and throw the Gatorade all around for all I care. Because, I mean, he is he's a different pitcher than he was last year. It's the Carlos Zambrano thing. Zambrano was very expressive. And then for, for a few seasons, Zambrano was one of the top pitchers in the league. My thing with Fulte is I, I'm going to need to see it sustained over the course because he did the same thing last year where he had that stretch last year where he was untouchable. And it could just be that I've been burned a little bit on Fulte and there's some parts of his game I don't like. I don't like I don't like the spin rate on his fastball. It's a kind of a low spin rate. It's not really geared towards striking a ton of people out. Excuse me as my dog decides to freak out. Anyway, uh, as I was saying, I'm, son of a Get down. <laughs> Dumb dog. Anyway, at 30-42, I'm not real fond of faulty spin rate. I haven't been able to find anything on the, on the spin rate of his knuckle curve, but I'm, I'm not real fond of pitchers that struggle to put batters away when you have two strikes. Uh, I think that way leads to some instances where you're fine. I think it also leads to some instances where we see with Fulte where he's got 107 pitches through five innings. Now, that's not to say that Fulte can't be a quality pitcher and he can't be an impact guy. I just I don't necessarily think I expect Fulte to be a number one or a number two like a lot of people seem to think when you see the fastball. That's probably something that we, we, we need to address as like the whole is to maybe lower those expectations to where he's not a Clayton Kershaw because there's one Clayton Kershaw, right? <laughs> uh, he doesn't, you know, he, he, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't have the amazing arsenal, but like Doc was saying, I've seen that progression out of him where he might have a couple runners on base via walk where the strike zone has like been a little iffy, but instead of like letting it derail him, he'll pick himself up and he'll continue to get through that inning without giving it, without, you know, blowing up outside the, that one Giants game. And, um, what I've liked from him is opponents are hitting. Well, the opponents have a sub uh, a six seventy six seventy nine OPS against them, and they're not hitting the ball that hard. You know, they got a slugging percentage of three sixty two. So it's been like I'm not gonna say he's getting unlucky because I don't think he is. I think his Babbitt is yeah, it's three hundred one. So he's pretty. It's right up there with you know league average. But um, I, I, do I think he's as good as? what he's showing us right now. No, I don't think he's a sub three ERA type pitcher, but if we lessen the expectations for him a little bit and expect more out of like, you know, a a bottom half of the rotation type pitcher, if he's able to put together like a three and a half uh, ERA season with like a four fifth type thing, that's tons of value. And that's a long major league career. And I guess that that's kind of more along the point of what I'm saying. It sounds like I'm just bashing on Fulte, but I said this to Doc the other day. If if may, maybe it's not that Fulte is just still has growth to do. Maybe maybe Fulte is a very he's been consistent. He's been very consistent over the course of his career and his minor league career. It's not the consistent that people project to him. I think, and it has more to do with other people's expectations than Fulte. Because while while the overly emotional thing can get annoying at times, like the Giants game, where you see a pitcher completely abandon any sort of thought process and and just decide I'm just going to throw it hard, that that part's annoying. But I've got no problem. We love relievers that express themselves. We love relievers that are all excited and pumped up when they come into the game. I mean, uh, who was it the other day that was talking about? He came in. He was he was overly excited. Uh, it was Jordan Hicks? 
Jordan Hicks, uh, overly excited about uh, about Odubel Herrera because he takes forever to get ready to hit. So Jordan Hicks throws the fastest pitch ever recorded in Major League, or the second fastest pitch ever recorded in Major League Baseball at 105, which is insane. Yeah, he hit 104 uh, four times in that one at bat against Herrera. He hit 105 twice yeah. and had movement. And what's like was funny is he's not particularly having a great year. Like you, you, you see that one hundred one hundred five, but is he's striking out like three and a half batters per nine? I don't. Second lowest strikeout uh, rate among any reliever, and it's because his spin rate on that two seamer is horrendous, like twenty one hundred bad. Oof, jeez. Hey, he's got negative point two WAR right now, despite being on like every single headline that you've seen because he can throw one hundred five. Bear in mind, he's still I, a rookie, and he was a starter before this. That's the craziest part yeah, to which me. Is, which is what I, I was afraid, you know, people always talk about Fulte coming out of the pen, and I think that'd be pretty much a horrendous idea. I, I love him in his role right now. I want to see him stick there. Even if he only gives you five to six innings, I think those are, I, I personally think it's five to six pretty solid innings. It puts you up for a win. With the amount of pitching that's still going to wind up coming, I mean the the rotation is kind of out of order right now because you still have Julio as as the one, Bolte is the two, and then Nuke is the four. So I think Julio's run of opening day starts is probably this year is going to be the last one that, that he uh, that he gets that OD start. But uh, once you rearrange that, if you've got Fulty as your four, then I mean that's that's dynamite because him going head to head with somebody else's four. Uh, that's that's great. That's a that's a great asset to have in your pocket because you still have Jahara, you still have Soroka, you still have Allard. You know, whenever he winds up joining joining the mix, I mean, there's he's still a, he's still a viable piece. But yeah, I think tempering expectations with him. You're right. He's not going to go out and have a sub three ERA for the rest of his career. But he's valuable. He, he, there's no doubt about it. And he, he has taken big strides and there, there could be more to come from him. And look, baseball's a funny game. People get better all the time. It took Jake Arietta what? Seven years in the league to figure out that he should cut some pitches out. So there, there's, there's always different hopes and stuff. And Fulty could obviously end up being much better than I expect. Um, either way, when you start looking at it and you start thinking of Fulty as the four or even God forbid the five, that puts you in some some very special air in your own division. You talk about the one thing that the NL East tends to have among everybody but the Marlins is top flight pitching. So you look at the Mets, obviously, and when everybody was healthy, you know, and you've got Thor and Degrom and Mats before people kind of figured out his sinker, and you got Zach Wheeler. Um, that that's some some big time potential right there. You talk about the Nationals when they were running out Scherzer and Strasburg and Geo and uh, whoever else they want to run out there right now. You can put the Braves into some rarefied air right there in the uh, Philadelphia with Arietta and Nola uh, and Velasquez if he's not getting victimized by the home run ball. That is a, a a good place to be in where you can feel confident that your pitcher is at least on par with their pitcher, where your offense doesn't have to work harder to get there because I think our offense is better than anybody else's in the East right now. I'm including Washington. I know they have Juan Soto and I know they have Bryce Harper for the rest of this year, but the Nationals window closed about two and a half, almost three years ago. Murphy's still not back yet, is he? He's coming back. 
I'm looking over uh, some some team pitching staffs, and it's kind of crazy how good the Astros' entire staff is. Well, if you ask Trevor Bauer, it's because of a certain substance. <laughs> but I mean, they their entire staff has a 10K per nine, 2.48 walks per nine, and a team ERA of 2.42. Like that's just that's absurd. <laughs> It is insane, and it lends credence a little bit to Trevor Bauer's things. When you look at Garrett Cole uh, for the last few years with the Pirates, what was the story? He was getting he, he gave up thirty home runs in a season. Like he he gave up more home runs than Julio. Now then he's popping off ten strikeout games like they're candy. Uh, Charlie Morton and I I love the story on Charlie Morton. Uh, he mm-hmm. seems to have found four miles an hour from the time that he was a Brave um, after all the surgeries, but. You know, whatever it is, uh, and until somebody makes, until Major League Baseball makes a, a real rule about it, then that's just something that's going to happen. And folks, it does happen. By the way, um, you have to look no further than I believe it was last season when Yadi Molina caught a ball in the chest protector and it stuck to the chest protector. Oh yeah, I got about that. <laughs> I'm just. I'm going through like uh, different teams starting starting rotations and seeing how someone like Fulty would would line up in a you know in like a like a game four type or a game four game five type thing and I I, I take Fulty over a lot of them. You look at the Yankees and their staff is Severino and then there's not really anyone else. But they but as like a team. They still have, yeah, 7.6 war from their pitching. I like Tanaka, only... and I like Montgomery there, too. I think I think it's oh, hard I mean, It's hard to evaluate a Yankees pitcher. They play in a Little League stadium, and they play in three Little League stadiums in the AL East, and everybody there seems to be mashers. And they've also had a lot of problems with injuries with the starting staff as well. I'm just using them as an example, but, like, if you temper if you temper your expectations for full team, you think of a more of like a, a four and absolute worst case of five, I think that's a fantastic player to have in that position. Now, as we're quickly running, running through time, uh, speaking about Fulte and speaking about the young guys like Soroka and Allard, and obviously Kyle Wright is the name on everybody's lips as well. There are some other guys in the minor leagues right now that are kind of under the radar still. That I think are about to that are are tiptoeing along that Braves top thirty, who are some real breakout candidates, and this is where Garav really shines. Uh, let's let's start this off with one of yours and my favorite guys, and that's Giancarlo Encarnacion. Just yeah. how good can he really be? Because he he has literally everything I look for in a young third base prospect. He's big, six three, one ninety five. That's probably a little light right now. He's strong. He has massive power. He's got a quick bat. He's not developed yet, and he's not even really tapping fully into his power yet. He's very athletic as well. What what do you see when you look at Encarnacion? I see someone who is incredibly raw. Like he still has a lot of work that he needs to do. You can tell he's not necessarily new to the game, but he's new to advanced teaching of the game, and that's something that's only going to get better for him. Uh, like you said, Batsby out of him, I saw him down in Orlando. Fantastic. It's it's really good bat speed. He looks absolutely huge over at third base. It's hilarious seeing him out there sometimes because he's just like a, he's an imposing figure. And, and it's listed at one ninety five. It's probably a lot more than that. The power is going to come. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think right now he's not hitting for much. He's got three homers on the season. Those are all pretty recently as well. 
So I think the power is definitely going to be there. Will he be like an Austin Riley? Who knows? Because Austin kind of exceeded everything my expectation ever put on him. So that's asking quite a bit of Jean Carlos, but he has the potential of being another, another really good bat. I don't know if he sticks to third. I've heard a lot of unfortunate things about him, but it could be simply because he's, again, really, he's, he's hasn't had a lot of advanced teaching yet. So if that, if he's able to stick at third and his bat plays out as it's projected, the Braves have another really special third baseman prospect. I know he's got six errors right now, which is not what you want to see in Rome. Um, what what strikes me as, as a good move there is he is supremely athletic. So even if he doesn't handle third, he has the athleticism as long as he's hitting. He has the athleticism to really play pretty much anywhere on the field. Uh, and you figure by the time he gets up, you know it's going to be another three years at best maybe. What I like about him is that there is still so much to work with. He's not hes not like, a, oh, he's already full grown and this is what you're going to get. He is a guy that you look at and you see good things from him. You're like, holy crap, there is still more to come. Like his walk rate. I believe he only had a 3% walk rate last year. Uh, that's something that obviously should get better as he continues to rise. And I've said this before. Now, it also was because I wasn't real high on Riley until he started really, really making some changes to his body and to his, to his playing style. I thought that Encarnacion has a higher potential ceiling than Riley. Now that could obviously change now that Riley seems to have discovered the secret of being Superman. Um, but I, I am no lower on Encarnacion than I was a year ago. And I think if that happens, you're looking at a force for the Braves, whether they trade that or whether they move him to an outfield position or whatever. I, it, it, I, I am so excited for him and for one of his Rome teammates, who's one of my favorites, even though he hasn't really done enough to show yet. And that's Izzy Wilson. Israel Wilson, I keep waiting and waiting and waiting. I was hoping it would be this it's year. I was hoping it'd be this year. He's kind of started it off a little bit rough, but you saw him a little bit in spring training. And again, you talk about the size at 6'2", 6'3", 190 pounds. He's fast. He has a big-time arm. And he might have some of the most raw power, aside from Austin Riley, in the Brave system. I totally agree. I've been wanting Izzy Wilson to be a thing for, for what seems like forever now. It's taken some time, but I'm, I'm not losing hope because his feeling is, would be the highest in the organization. And that's including some big-time prospects. When you talk about what Izzy Wilson could do, now I think he's a guy that it might take a lot longer than some of these other guys because he – you want to talk about Raw. Raw does not begin to describe Israel Wilson. But the payoff, if you are patient and it works out, is so huge. You're talking about a guy that could play center field if it weren't for Drew Waters, who's also killing it right now. Uh, or Christian Pache, who's going to be one of the top center fielders, at least defensively, in the entire game. It is it is an embarrassment of riches when you talk about certain positions in the Braves minor league system. Um, I know we've got uh, we we've got um, we got a couple more guys I want to talk about down there, but I kind of want to morph over to the pitching for a little bit. And I know this seems a little herky jerky, uh, but we were talking about the bullpen, and there is one guy that I was intrigued by last year um, had absolutely got off of walk rates, which is why I, I tried to temper expectations. But Evan Phillips right now, good lord, man. Yeah. Yeah, he, he absolutely had the stuff to be. He's had the stuff to be in the major league since he was drafted. It's always in the walk rate. He has seemingly been able to take care of that. And uh, if this continues, he's he absolutely deserves to be in Atlanta. He is 
a force to be reckoned with with a fastball, a very, very heavy fastball that induces so many, like, so much weak contact. But most of the time, it's just a swing and strike. Um, I think he, I've named him as my next my next man up to Atlanta. I can't, I'm not, I can't, I don't foresee any else surpassing that unless he completely falls off again. But, um, yeah, I'm, I love him. I think he'd be amazing in Atlanta. I love his arsenal. Let's just hope this, this non-walking trend continues because it's been bad. Like we're talking like four to six walks per nine, despite striking out like 10 plus per nine. But now it's down to what? Yeah, it's almost 13 Ks per nine with a walk rate under, uh, with a walk rate of 3.22. And that's after like he started off the season really badly and it's gotten better. If he's able to get, keep that under three with that 13 strike, and then we're talking about another huge high leverage reliever that the Braves can use in any situation. It doesn't have to be like your closing situation in the ninth. Uh, you can you can switch between full ups, and I still love Biddle. I think Biddle needs to be a high leverage reliever as well for for Atlanta. Uh, Carl, you know this bullpen, it's it's got potentially pretty pretty dang good. And there's still some other ones down there. You talk about Thomas Burroughs, too, who I don't know if he just pissed somebody off in the Brave system, uh, <laughs> but he just seems to never quite get the calls up. And you talk about Burroughs, who's one of that rare guy who actually was a, a college reliever, and he's got a heavy two-pitch mix. His slider is nasty. He's got a hard fastball coming from the left side as well. There are, there are plenty of pieces down there, whereas I'll be excited if the Braves go out and get a top-flight reliever because that would be an immediate help. But there, there are plenty of players in the minor leagues right now that I think if they iron out one or two things or maybe kind of nail down one off-speed pitch, I think could be just as dominant as any bullpen. Aside, you could you could ostensibly be the the 2015 Royals bullpen if these guys start to could kind of mm-hmm. work out. Winkler's been lights out. Minter, I need to, I need him to stop throwing the cutter every single pitch. But there's no doubt that he's got the the massive potential to do that. Arodis, we 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 bang on him a lot, but since he's become the closer, the Braves have blown less saves than any other team in the majors. We've blown eight saves since since Arodis has started, and and it's not always been Arodis who's been in those situations. Uh, another guy with with everything that tends to sink when it's on. Um, there there are plenty. You talk about Jesse Biddle, who I think is going to be outstanding. I love his his little hitch in his leg kick that really messes with hitters' timings. Sam Freeman's been a revelation, even if I still think he's due for some regression. There there are a ton of young, talented prospects. And then you talk about the starting pitchers. We go twelve deep in starting pitchers. They're not. We're not going to run a twelve man rotation. We're not going to trade six of them. So you're going to have some 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 movement there as well. I have a confession to make. Uh, I was, for the longest time, I was of the opinion that Tuki Toussaint should move to the bullpen. I'm right there felt, with you. No, I know, I know. And that's um, <laughs> what, what I've seen out of him this year has just been like, I, I can't believe how big of a step that he has taken. Like, he was ready with just, just the fastball and curveball combo last year. But. N- just he could have stepped into the bullpen right then, you know. But what he's shown as a starter down in Mississippi, I mean, I think that he's going to wind up being one of those guys that once he gets gets to the majors, it will be as a starter. And I think that he's going to wind up being being absolutely elite level. Dennis Llewellyn is not being paid enough. 
I don't know his contract. I, I don't know what he's making, but whatever it is, it's not enough. I've I've been asked, and I'm sure you guys have been too, about who's that who's that potential ace that the Braves have? Who's that Garrett Cole that they can plug into the top of the rotation? Is the Clayton Kershaw? It's two PP side. If he's able to harness his full potential, he's the best pitcher in the entire organization. Joey like, Wentz. I don't, I, I, I don't. I can't really think of anyone who has as high. Will he recognize it? We don't know, but he would be your number one ace that you put. He'd be your number one that gets the ball game one. No, there's no doubt. What I've been seeing from him. There's no doubt, and I believe he's taken a fair bit off his fastball in order to control it as well. I believe what is he sitting about ninety four, ninety five right now? Where when we acquired him, he was thrown about ninety eight, ninety nine, and had that nasty hook. He just had no clue where it was going. Uh, the strides Tuki has made have been incredibly impressive. Um, I don't know that I agree that Gohara should be in the pen. I love Gohara as a starter because he's uh-huh. actually minor league numbers wise, he's actually one of the the better control artists despite the heavy throwing capability. Uh, in the minor leagues. And I think anytime you talk about a lefty with a slider that insanely dominant, uh, he's still adding the changeup. So as that, as he throws it, he's only thrown it a year and a half. So as he throws that more, that'll get better. You get him with three solid pitches and you're talking about CC Sabathia, uh, which last time I checked, pretty decent career and i think i'd pretty much take that from anybody um you talk about tukey toussaint joey wince is will joey wince will forever be my my man crush in this system uh the guy that i personally think has the highest chance of, of being better than anybody thought uh when wince came in he was expected to be kind of a, a third a middle of the rotation type of guy and i just see shades of madison Bumgarner on him um but bryce wilson been incredible completely outplayed that fourth round draft pick. He's been insane. I wonder what he'll do at the big league level since all of his pitches seem to stay in the zone. I wonder if he'll be more John Lackey, but he seems to be handling it all right here at double a, uh, there's just no shortage of supreme talent. And you still got Ricardo Sanchez, who everybody forgets about Max Fried is getting buried and Max Fried is not a bad starting pitching prospect for any other team. Except on this team, Max Fried has kind of come down from a two to about a four or a five, so that puts him significantly behind some of these others. So, the, the, is. <laughs> it is an embarrassment in in the minor league system right now. Then there is incredibly raw, but yet still, it seems like he's overachieving. Freddie Tanev, just like he's not giving up hits. He has problems, like they're they're having because so, you know to watch his workload and everything, but he's been. He's so much better than I thought that he would be this early on in his career. I, I was amazed when they put Tarnock on the uh, on the Rome roster to start of the season. I figured yeah. that he would he would stay back and extended, but I mean, yeah, he's striking out thirteen point seven per nine right now. That's that's a guy who wasn't even pitching at all till two years ago. Yeah, he's given up. He's given up twelve hits in nineteen innings over the course of ten games. Like, that's insane. And he didn't really start pitching until his junior year of high school. And I know, like, this was a pure upside draft pick by the Braves because of that kind of stuff. But to see the strides he's already made is just remarkable. Like, that Rome team is a lot of fun. There's some some real deal talent down there. Between between Tarnock and you've also got Drew Waters down there, who... Uh, you and I both today were tweeting about how ridiculous he's been since he came back from mm-hmm. the DL. His slugging percentage is over 700. Uh, got on base five times today. Um, 
Contreras is one of the one of the fastest rising prospects in the entire system. Kyle Muller's been dynamite. Yeah, he got bumped up already. He's already in Florida. That's insane. And I, I did a little I did a little write up with Andy about Kyle Muller about some things that I saw differently. The way he's ironed out his mechanics and his delivery in the span of a few months is wildly impressive. He's finishing much better. And now you're starting to see where I had him I had him written in Sharpie as a bullpen guy. When I first saw him, when I first saw him pitch last year, I, I looked at him as a nah, this is a reliever. He had a very a very high torque delivery, not very repeatable mechanics, but threw hard and had some good stuff. Kyle Muller's another guy that I think at the rate he's going, he's going to be top of the rotation in no time. You want to talk about imposing? He's another guy, 6'6", 250 pounds. There is just no shortage. Jaseel De La Cruz coming out of nowhere. There, there are pitchers everywhere. And I, I know we got to move on and we got we to gotta start winding down. But before we go too much farther than that, outside of, outside of just how wildly impressive it is that we have four levels, five levels, of baseball, of impressive baseball that we can watch. If you you know find a way to actually get out and see the minor league teams between Rome and Florida, Mississippi and Gwinnett, and Atlanta, of course, you start looking around and you start wondering. Really, what we were talking about earlier is where do you go to get better? And the big trade everybody's talking about right now is trying to find a trade for Mustakis and Kelvin Herrera. Where do you sit on that, Garav? I never want to say it's really it's it's this this year has spoiled me because I've never wanted to say you shouldn't block a prospect like you know like Austin Riley type type of player where with when you when okay what am I trying to say um, I'm on the fence which is something I never thought I would be when it came to someone like Mustakis and Herrera who are both having really good seasons. Uh, it, I think it comes down to how much you are willing to to pay for them. I mean, I'm fine with Austin Riley not not playing in the majors for two years because I think that's how long Mustakis's deal is for, right? I think this year is five million and next year is fifteen. It's a mutual option for next year. Okay, uh, so, I mean, uh, I mean, who even knows? Then that probably lessens the the prospect pool that you have to give up. Um, yeah, I mean, they they both still two pretty solid holes in on this roster. So I understand it, but at the same time, I've fallen in love with Austin Riley as a player. And I, I'm like, I want to see him up in Atlanta as soon as possible. Because I, I personally don't think he's got anything else he, he needs to work out over in Gwinnett. Um, a final verdict is, oh boy, uh, I would be okay with it, but again, it, it does depend on who you have to give up. As long as you're not giving up any of the the top flight, I think it's okay because you're able to add relievers during the offseason, high leverage relievers during the offseason. So I wouldn't want to give too much up for someone like Herrera right now. Well, Ryan Cothran from Walk Off Walk made it onto in, uh, to MLB Network with his trade proposal. And, uh, I didn't see it on TV, so I don't know where they sided with it. But uh, I believe his was something like Alex Jackson, Dustin Peterson, and Matt Whistler for. Uh, oh, I did that in a heartbeat. It might have been one other one. I think it was a four for two uh, for uh, for Herrera and Mustakis. It seems it seems light for Kansas City side, but you do realize that they've basically got Suli Matias and nobody else in that minor league system besides Nick Prado, who's still quite a ways away. Um, I like that one. I've been I've been stumping for a trade with the Reds forever. Um, 
Rysel Iglesias and Scooter Jeanette. Those are the two that I've been after because Rysel Iglesias is also cost controlled for a while. Um, and he Jeanette just took the DL. I know. I don't care. Um, <laughs> he is. <laughs> he is to get him now. <laughs> he is awesome. Jeanette has another. Jeanette somehow still has a year of arbitration. Um, <laughs> which is insane. Uh, and he's a guy that can play just about anywhere on the diamond. So he wouldn't necessarily, and I hate the phrase blocking a prospect. I really do. I feel if prospects good enough, he'll find some spot to play on the field, mm-hmm. but Jeanette's versatile enough to where he could play a corner outfield as well. Since you're not bringing back Nick Marcakis, all things considered, he's not coming back next season. Jeanette could play a corner outfield, but whatever. Uh, and it is the reds. It's no longer Walt Jockety. I feel like I have to apologize. The first time I said this, uh, I mentioned it as Walt Jockety. He is no longer the GM of the Reds. He's been pushed out quietly. It's now Nick Kroll or Kroll or whatever his name is. So he might not be as dumb as Jockety, so it might actually cost you an actual prospect or two. That's another one I like. Um, I also like J.A. Happ for Toronto. I would like to get J.A. Happ as a stabilizing element in, in the rotation. He's better than Julio. Um, He's quietly over since twenty was it since twenty fourteen out of the twenty fifteen and on he's been one of the better pitchers one of the more stable pitchers in the league and this year he's been even better. There's a few ways you can go, but like you're saying, Garav, it all comes down to price because I'm not so desperate for anything that I'm giving up really any of our top twelve prospects. And also, what I what also is in the back of my mind is that I don't think that we're necessarily one piece away from winning a World Series. I don't think that this team is personally capable of winning it because of these shortcomings in the. Well, okay, shortcomings is, is a is a harsh way of saying there are definitely possible ways to upgrade the rotation and the and the, and the, um, the bullpen. And then I don't think again, I don't think Nick Marquez is who he's playing as right now. I don't think he's that good. Um, so I don't, I just don't think we need to do that devastating trade to get that one piece to propel us to a world series. Right. And that's, that's a huge reserve I have on this team. If it was next year, you know, or maybe, maybe in two years and where that window was a little, a little brighter, then maybe we make that big move. But I, I don't see us doing that right now. So if it were you, if you were Alex Anthopoulos, would you stand pat at the deadline, or would you actively be looking to bring in a third baseman? I think you always have to try and upgrade your team no matter what. Uh, but I would be okay with not bringing in, or not trading for a reliever, because I don't think the roster is cap- not, not capable, but I don't think we will win the World Series, and you have so many different arms available during the offseason where you don't have to trade someone who you might use next year. I'm trying to find a figure a good way of saying this. You don't have to trade an asset that is capable of pitching next year for someone who you can sign the same year, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. You don't have to give up anything to get somebody that you could sign anyway. Yeah. With that loaded class, I just don't think it's, it's necessary and I don't think the addition of Moustakis makes us into a World Series favorite. What about you, Doc? Where do you sit on this? Well, I am. I might be kind of blind to this. Where I'm, I'm looking around the rest of the National League and trying to figure out who's legitimately better than the Braves are. Um, Not a long list. 
I mean, there there really isn't. But one thing that you see about this team, as opposed to recent teams, is that Braves in 2017 would get a lead. They'd go up 5-1. to one, They'd take their foot off the gas pedal. They'd lose 7-5. to five. This is the type of team that will go up 10-1, to one and they're still not satisfied. They want to keep piling on runs. And I, and I think that that is the same type of mentality that's going to have to go into when you look at this type of thing. Even if the Braves are the team to beat, they need to be – they can, there's still room, there is still room to get better, you know? Um, and I think that it's more important to possibly improve, to, uh, improve the bullpen than it is to improve third. Like if you, if you plant Riley and Phillips in the place of, uh, Camargo and Moylan say, I mean, cause you still, it's not like you're getting rid of Camargo. You've still got him as that guy who can, who can jump from spot to spot. Um, I, I would probably be more interested in going after Herrera than than Mustakis, just because I the off, yeah the the offense has been great. It's not I mean it's not like Mustakis is having a bad year by any means, but if you're able to just put Riley in the same spot, how much of a difference in the production are you going to get between what Riley's going to give you and what Mustakis is going to give you? And Moose is so, a dog at third. I mean. There's something to, you know, veteran veteran presence. Is it a myth? Is it a real thing? Who knows? There's no quantifiable data on that, but uh, I don't know. I think that if you get to the, you get to the all-star break and you're 20 games over 500 or 15, at least, I mean, I think the Brewers are really the, one of the only teams right now that you can look at it and say top to bottom, they're just as good as the Braves are. I was going to so, say the Brewers are the Cardinals because the Cardinals, they haven't hadn't had the start to the season. They've also had a ton of, of injuries, a metric S ton of injuries, if you will. Um, but up and up and down, their roster is pretty talented, especially when you consider Marcelo Zuna is just starting to heat back up. It's it will be interesting to track, but once you get down to the trade deadline, I think that if I think that if you're in that if you're still playing over six hundred ball, you you keep going and you you try and play six fifty ball. But, through the, through the end of the season, go in, ride the high, get 95 wins. Because what what's also going to happen too is free agents for next year. They're going to look at this team and go, "Wow!" Even if the Braves don't win the World Series, they're going to say they were so close. I could be that piece to put them over the edge. So if you're Bryce Harper or if you're Manny Machado, you could say, "I could push this into the next realm." So, um, well, to your Brewers point, I, I say I say go for it. To your, go for it. <laughs> to your Brewers point, I mean, you saw it happen with the Brewers. They were a year ahead of schedule. They had that outstanding year last season. They go out and they bring in Lorenzo Cain, and they go out and they make a big deal for Christian Yelich because they didn't feel like they needed Lewis Brinson anymore. They, they went out and they added a bunch of pieces, and they finally seemed to have overtaken the Cubs as the most talented team in that division, and that's – that is top to bottom, probably the most talented division in baseball right now. We talk about the Pirates and the Brewers and the Cubs and the Cardinals. That's a very talented group of guys among all of those teams. So there, I think there's something to what you're saying. I think as baseball fans and guys that kind of live and breathe it, especially if you happen to play fantasy or if you play the show, um, you're always trying to find that one trade piece that you like. I don't think anybody on any base any baseball fan ever has been completely a hundred percent okay with their team top to bottom from start to finish. Um, but I think this Braves roster in the next coming years is is going to be interesting. I think we're going to get to a point where we don't want any trades. Period. Also, um, just just real quick, 
one team to really watch and hope that they just completely fall apart would probably be the Pirates because I like some of their bullpen pieces if we're going to go the trade route and go to like the reliever route. You know, Richard Rodriguez is kind of killing it for them. And I wouldn't mind finding some way to acquire him. If, you know, just playing this fun little game of finding different pieces that actually fit. The, the Pirates are one of those sneaky teams because they've been so overshadowed by the Brewers and by the Cubs people for, and the Cardinals. People forget that the Cardinals have or the Pirates have a ton of talent on their team on their own. Francisco Cervelli has been kind of a revelation. He's been one of the best hitting catchers, period, in all of baseball this year. Gregory, Gregory Polanco, the average isn't there, but he's finally starting to show some power. Starling Marte, when he comes back, Starling Marte is a true five-tool superstar, too. That's a fun team, too. And because they're kind of stuck in a division where three other teams are potentially worthy of winning a division, the Pirates could find themselves buried through no real fault of their own. So that that's a good call. They might have to get creative there in order to keep pace with the rest of the division. Again, it's not going to bother me if we don't trade for anybody at the trade deadline. I think we'd be perfectly fine if we don't because we do have the depth to bring them up. Now, we are already over our hour, so we, <laughs> we always like to do some fun questions for the show. Um and when I'm not sidetracking the entire thing and going down rabbit holes, uh, we like to have some fun questions so our guests, you know, get to talk about themselves a little bit. And uh, Doc, being the creative mastermind that he is, that he is, has come up with these questions. So without further ado, okay. I will lead you all into probably your favorite segment of the show, and that is Doc's questions. Grav, welcome to the non sequitur roundtable. First question: <laughs> What is a fad from the 1990s that you would like to see come back in style? Oh my God, a fad from the 1990s! Ah, uh, I can't even think of uh, think of any. I'm going to Google fad from the 1990s right now and figure out which one. Oh, one of the top ones is boy bands. I freaking love boy bands. <laughs> I would totally if, if they could come back and not be like. Um, Whatever we got now, that'd be that'd be make me very very happy. They need to and be then in punk sync. rock, punk rock. I love punk rock. The whole like maybe that was more early two thousands with the whole Tony Hawk craze. Uh, but that was my music. Goldfinger, Superman. That was my jam for so long. I would love to have that kind of music come back. Like Goldfinger, Less Than Jake, Zebrahead. Yes. Oh my God, Zebrahead. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, and then, I, saw um, Z- I saw Zebrahead open for 311 on Halloween uh, oh, back wow. in 2000, and they they all came out dressed as Fred Durst with the black shirt and the, the red backwards hat. It was ridiculous. <laughs> That's incredible. That seems like an awesome show that I would want to go to. It, it was fun. It was it was a lot of fun. I was kind of in that same. I had like the that pop punk, um, the, like my uh, when I was 19. I, I just wanted my band to sound like Blink One Eighty Two, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I was in that same. That's a good I, fad. I just went to a concert on Friday, and it was Bayside and Newfound Glory. <laughs> Newfound, Newfound Glory, Glory oh still God. around? Yeah. yeah, they still they still tour, and it was it was incredible. What they played a lot of their new stuff, uh, which is more a little more rock than punk rock. I still enjoyed it, and they put on one hell of a show. That'd be like if you were to tell me that Brand New was still touring. <laughs> it was awesome. It was it was at the Noon and Mass Parade, too, which was my first time going there. And it was a thoroughly entertaining night. The Masquerade is a great concert venue. I have never been to a bad show at the Masquerade. <laughs> 
Right, well, keep that, it coming. I like that question. Well, this actually, that's going to kind of feed into the next one. This is a, as it turns out, this is a music related one too. Uh, name an album that is perfect from start to finish. Oh boy. That is extremely difficult. I might have to go with my, my first CD ever. And that was Green Day's Dookie. I think that was, that was the first CD I ever got. And I listened to it roughly 93 million times. And I, I love it. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Final answer. Dookie Green Day. Final answer is Dookie. All right, Dylan, what's yours? What's your perfect album from start to finish? Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the album. It's from a Skylet Drive, which if you've never heard of them, they are, they're more metalcore, I guess. They're not, uh, not what everybody likes to listen to. Give me just a second to make sure I don't butcher the name. Ascension. Uh, if you like metalcore, which has a lot of the highs without the growls that you get in some death, death metal and stuff like that. If you're into that type of music, that is a perfect album. They're all See, outstanding songs. All the music is, is nice, and they're different. It's not like every song on there. Because I would have said some Memphis May Fire, because if you like one of their songs, you'll like their entire album, because they're all kind of the same. But a Skylet Drive, outstanding band. You see, I might have to look into that because I like some aspects of metal except for the growling. So that that would be that might be something that's right up. And Ascension right Ascension is really cool because that's the acoustic version. If you want the electric one, then look for Rise. Or you could go into a couple of like I, I'm a big blues fan too, so pretty much any Stevie Ray Vaughan album I thought were perfect start to finish. Um that I, I I don't see many of those that I don't like. And I don't I'm not a big skipper when I'm on CDs. I'm also notoriously cheap. So I still I still have CDs that I'll put in my car. And if I if I like the band enough to have a CD from them, chances are there are no skips on that album. I'm uh, I'm I'm looking at the greatest of all time Billboard top two hundred albums. And coming in at number nine is Nickelback's All the Right Reasons from 2005. You can pretty much burn that list. <laughs> that brought you such great hits as Photograph and Animals uh, <laughs> and Rockstar, the number nine rated album of all time. Uh, Who's voting for this? I don't know, but Dookie is 172. Is Coldplay that is on that list? Abomination. <laughs> oh, man. If you like Nickelback, um, you like Coldplay. It's a fact. <laughs> Look, let me tell you something about Coldplay. All right. Parachutes is wonderful. Parachutes is wonderful. I haven't liked an album that they've come out with in a long time, but Parachutes is great. Um, my, my perfect start to finish album is probably Graceland by Paul Simon. But I would also like to, uh, like to put Animals by Pink Floyd. Not Animals by Nickelback, but Animals by, by Pink Floyd on, on that list as well. Pink Floyd's dangerous because they have some stuff like Dark Side of the Moon. A lot of those songs are incredible. But then you also get the albums where they were experimenting and under so many hallucinogenic drugs that they sound like garbage. There's... Um there's some moments on the wall that that are really just like by the end of it, you're just going, oh, for the love of God, just get to the right. point, you know. But uh, but no, Animals was um, like their run of albums in the 70s where it went Echoes, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, which is also perfect start to finish. Animals, The Wall. I mean, that's that's as good of a five five album run as, as you're going to find. 
You so. busted a lot of good ones, but none of them reach up to all the right reasons by Nickelback. That's <laughs> <laughs> none yeah. of them created a meme, like photograph. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, next question: Are you more of a roller coaster type, a water rides type, or a bumper cars type? Ooh, roller coasters. That's easy. That, that slight, that slight fear that everything might fall apart and you could die. I think that that pushes it over the edge for me. It's like a slight <laughs> little thrill. That's like, oh god, I could actually die as I go, <laughs> as I do a flip like thirty times in a row. That's gotta be. It's, although I do love a water park, they are a lot of fun, especially during those like one hundred and ninety degree summer days here in Georgia. But gotta go roller coaster. Is it the screen machine at Six Flags where uh, where they take your picture as you're going down that hill? That's the Goliath. That's like nine of the roller coasters over there. The screen machine, they don't do that because it's a thousand years old. It's made of wood. Yeah. <laughs> screen machine and the Cyclone, which I think they actually just closed down, were the last two wooden roller coasters in there. Yeah, some of those got real rickety towards the, towards the end there. I remember, I think I was in high school when they were running the screen machine backwards. What? That, yeah. See, that would be actually, cool. I would have done that. I mean, it was it was just. I mean, how many times have you been on a roller coaster? You know, you're you're staring up into the sky as you're cresting that big hill, and then you you come flying back down. This is just like you're staring back down, and then so you have to be turned around and staring over your shoulder, trying to figure out where exactly, you know, when when the moment's going to come where you go plunging backwards. It was cool, but it but because it was on that old rickety wooden roller coaster, it was kind of terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> you feel like you're gonna go so, flying off at any at any moment. Mm-hmm. You can like hear you can hear your your little cart click as it goes up, and you're like, oh my god, I should probably not be hearing like the wood <laughs> settling underneath me while I go seventy <laughs> miles an hour. And that the like right when you would go back into the bay, you know, if you have your hands up, like there was a legitimate chance that you could be cut off at the wrists yeah. every time. <laughs> yeah. It's scary. Good times. Good times. So, next question. Some people love camping. Some people hate it. Do you love camping or do you hate it? I'm I'm not a huge camping person. I actually had a conversation about this with my friend Alex, I think, actually a week and a half ago. Because my friend, um, my friend, went camping in Costa Rica. You know, I absolutely incredible like the pictures you sent me were like absurd and that looked like a lot of fun and i hope this doesn't come off the wrong way because it's just my type of humor but i looked at alex and i was like man camping is a is a very white person thing to do <laughs> and uh we it's thought true. about it we, we, we thought about all of our all of our friends that that weren't white and who actually went camping and it was overwhelmingly, it was, it was a bunch of white people that went camping. I don't know what it is about it. Uh, I don't know why I just don't have as much fun as a lot of people, other, a lot of other people do. I've done it before. It just doesn't, I don't know. I guess I like my AC. I'm it's, really lame. It's like this. Think about skydiving. Think about like deep sea scuba diving. Think of the most dangerous stuff and kind of stupid stuff. Generally, it's white people activities. <laughs> I didn't say it though. It's okay. As as the probably the whitest man on this crew, I will take this bullet and say it. I mean, when you talk about the guys that go up there and try to like pet a lion, it's a white guy. 
It's always a white yeah. guy. The ones that go jumping over, like, between skyscrapers. Like, right, the parkour I just, dudes. I don't, I don't, it's always yeah, white I dudes. I don't know what it is. And that was just a revelation I had literally last week. It was absolutely hilarious that you brought that up. We have no fear of death. <laughs> no, I had... I had never considered that, but yeah, that is that is one of those um, inherently white activities. That's that's hilarious. To be fair, I but, also uh, hate camping. Unless I'm at a music festival, I have no interest in camping. I'm, I'm, I'm good, so good at the indoors. Right. I'm good for like a night. Like I was, I was the worst person because my parents and my little brother they all loved to go camping every Fourth of July. We'd go up to Pigeon Forge or, or Little River, not actually Pigeon Forge. We go outside the city, and first night, I'm ready to go. I wanted. To, we always went to this go kart track. As soon as we were done with that, I was ready to go back home. So I, all I cared about was racing the go karts. All right, let's go. I just, I don't know. I, I've I've tried it. I've had fun. It's just not on my list of things. That hey, if I have time for vacation, it's not like I'm like, like hey, I, I want to go camping. Depends on how much booze is there too. That's very true. As long as no bears either. Bears. Scared the crap out of me. I don't know. I don't know how people do with bears. Even like the ones that aren't. Isn't it like grizzly bears aren't okay? Black bears. They won't attack you. No, grizzly bears will eat you, man. Black bears are the uh, ones the that polar are. Bears. Okay, see, it's, that's why I don't go camping. I just get eaten by every freaking bear. <laughs> this, uh, you know, we're getting to the to the hot season, which is ridiculous because we're still a, still a month from. Uh, a month from summertime, but went to, um, there was a music festival up in Virginia called Lockin a couple years ago. And, um, I went and saw white denim in the middle of the afternoon on Friday. It was 195 degrees. It was like, and even at night, like when you would try and sleep, I mean, this was August at a field in Virginia and it was like, you would wake up sweating. Like my sweat was sweating. Ugh. You know what I mean? Like, I, so I'm, I'm with you with, with needing the AC. It's just, there's I why am I going to go camping and sleep in the woods in the I got heat? a bed. I paid a lot of money for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. My bed is so comfortable. Like these pillows like I uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm with you. I I think that we are all in all in agreement that camping um is kind of it's not necessarily worth it. By the way, I'm going to hijack a question. Sorry, I'm going to hijack one of Doc's segments here. I got one question that we have to settle. Jerry Seinfeld, funny or no? Funny. Like his stand-up, not the show. Oh, the, the stand-up itself. I don't know. I've actually ever seen one of his. I saw his new Netflix special, and it was it was pretty funny, but I think the show was better than that stand-up itself. So I don't. I can't base it on much other than that one, that one special. That's okay to me, but I love the show. So I like Seinfeld the show, but I I have him considered as like the uh, like one of the most unfunny famous comedians ever. Like I his stand I he, literally the dude that came up with the airplane food joke. <laughs> what's the deal with airplane yeah. food? Yeah. What's up? No. What's up with that? What's the deal with airplane food? What's up with that? Like uh, yeah okay. But he yeah, could I, I, he. Just real quick, he he knew he probably knew that he wasn't going to be able to sustain that for the rest of his life. And so, once you start getting in people like Michael Richards and Julia Louis Dreyfus and Jason Alexander, that's when he became a trillionaire. 
You know what I mean? Like George he, is he one of the greatest characters. George is one of the greatest characters ever of any show. Man, I totally agree. I'm gonna watch some Seinfeld tonight because of this. While I go camping. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Doc. I had to hijack that one. The worst type of camping, where I'm just gonna watch TV. I'll just go camping in my room and watch Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep on the couch. Does that count? <laughs> If you keep the uh, keep the flap open on the tent that you set up in your bedroom just to be able to feel the air from the ceiling fan. <laughs> Love it, yes. Maybe so I'll set it up on my tiny little porch. There you go. There you go. You're still outside. If it gets too hot, then I'll come inside and I'll stop camping. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is uh I got two two more questions for you and I and I swear okay. I swear we'll let we'll let you we'll let you get back to get back to your day. So uh what is the number one city on your must visit list. Oh man, that's totally easy. It's Seoul, South Korea. Like in terms of the places I have visited or I want to visit. That you want that you want to visit. Or both. Uh my favorite city that I've visited so far has been Seoul, South Korea. I've been there three times now and every single time I've had just an amazing um amazing experience in terms of food. The quality of living there is incredible. Like you have everything you could possibly need. I've always loved it. Uh, and then where I want to go is um, Copenhagen. Denmark is my next is my next go to uh, vacation. I'm, it's just beautiful, and I need to figure out when I'm going to do it. My friend wants to. My friend wants to go there with me, and then head over to to Prague and go on a little East European tour because I've actually surprisingly never been to Eastern Europe. I've stayed on the Western part of it for most of my time. Every single time I've gone there. Uh, but Copenhagen is top of my list. Yeah, I've heard I've heard good things about Copenhagen. You you mentioned Prague. That's my that's my number one city abroad. It's supposed to be just absolutely stunning. Yeah, my, and in college, my one of my roommates went there for I think it was like three months. Essentially, he wanted to just go around Eastern Europe, and he ended up staying almost like half the time in Prague because of how incredible it was. That's cool. That's really yeah. It's supposed to be beautifully architected. Mm-hmm. Dylan, how about you? Is it uh, Bismarck, North Dakota? <laughs> uh, I think uh, I got two places really. Like I, I really want to go to Amsterdam. Um, oh yeah, that yeah. would be cool because I've never been. Um, I've it's, been. It's fantastic. I've been to Honolulu. That was really cool. Um, but I also want to go to it. Now this is in the city, so it's kind of cheap cheating, but Aitutaki, uh, it's an Island. One of the cook islands, I believe the most beautiful water in the entire world. Google it, Google image it. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, there it is. Okay. I was trying to figure out how to spell that, but the water okay. there is like perfectly clear. Holy cow. Yeah. That's a one way ticket. I'm not coming back. If I ever go there, yeah. I'm there. How does that wow. one come back from this? Wow. Yeah, that is, um, that's pretty nice. If you were listening along to the show, uh, pr- pronounce that one more time, Dylan. Aitutaki. A-I-T-U-T-A-K-I. I believe mm-hmm. that's the spelling. Yeah, that's like, uh, it's got that perfect fade. It's like turquoise water that's um, still kind of clear. It's beautiful. And it's not like I love Aruba too. Like that's I've been trying to talk my wife into going Aruba with me for years. I would give up Aruba in a heartbeat to go to Aitutaki. I get it. 
when we were, uh, I, li- yeah, I lived in uh, Istanbul when I was a kid, and uh, we went to a place called Keshme that was, uh, I think it was right on the Aegean. And I remember, you know, walking walking out into it and uh, just like being waist deep and still being able to see my feet. It was it was the same same type of thing where you know you're, you know, living on the East Coast, you you wind up going to the Isle of Palms, South Carolina, you know the you can't even see your, your ankles, you know what I mean? When, when that's all that's in the water. So it's, it's such a being, being in water like that. It's, it's just a completely different type of experience. It's really cool. It's also the first time I was ever at a topless beach. So I was like nine, 10 years old and just going, what the hell is going <laughs> Perfect on? place for a nine or 10 year old. That's where you learn everything. I mean, I, I learned more in that moment, uh, than I, than I might have learned. Uh, like the fact then. that most of the people that visit nude or topless beaches are not people that should be visiting nude or topless beaches. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, I, I, I won't remember the, the thoughts and the feelings. And at that, that particular <laughs> moment, I, you know, um, but it anyways, so, um, that's my embarrassing childhood story. My last question for you, uh, Garab is tell an embarrassing childhood story. Uh, uh, oh, I know what mine is. That was the easy go-to one. I pooped in my dad's car. <laughs> I think I was, it was a long road trip, and I had recently gotten out of diapers, and I just straight up pooped in his car, and it, like, had a little stain in there for, well, must have been, like, five years until we got rid of that one. <laughs> it was, like, a little reminder, even when I got older. I, like, in middle school, I'd see that in the, in the, in the car and be like, oh, yeah. I pooped there. Like that's probably that's easily the most embarrassing story I have. How many times have they ever brought it up when you've had people over? Um, a lot more in the past. Uh, my sister still likes bringing it up every now and then, though. Just out of nowhere, maybe like a networking event. Hey, by the way, my brother pooped in my dad's car. Like whatever. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know. It happens. Uh, no, I think we've all got a good uh, poop the pants story. I've, you know, I've, I'm not gonna lie and say I, I never poop my pants. So uh, I've also very strangely accidentally stabbed my sister with a mechanical pencil, and there's a little piece of uh, of uh, graphite stuck in her knee. I must have been like two years old, and I fell and like tripped it. But that's also kind of embarrassing. Something I, I haven't not not forgotten like ever. Like it's still embedded in her knee? Yeah, yeah, just a small amount of graphite. <laughs> wow. That's some that's some sturdy graphite. Right. You wouldn't expect it to like work its way out, but no, nah, it's been like over thirty years. And it's still in there. Oh, no, not it can't be over thirty years. I'm thirty years old, so that's just not possible. But um yeah, it's still in there. That's also slightly embarrassing because I obviously didn't mean to stab my sister. They had mechanical pencils 25 years ago? Yeah. Or, I, mean, I don't know. I don't remember. It was a pencil. And there was a graphite in there. That's all I remember. I'm still struggling. No, How did you accidentally stab her? How do I what? How do you accidentally stab somebody in the knee? I was holding it, and I tripped and fell. Okay. Sorry, my yeah. brother was playing Frankenstein once. No, no ill intent. No ill intent. Trying to actually stop my sister. Sorry, my brother was playing Frankenstein with Q-tips in his ears, tripped and jammed one so far into his ear that he punctured his eardrum. 
Jeez, that was the classic Frankenstein injury. Yeah, he was probably uh, he was probably six, five or six. <laughs> well, Garab, thank you for uh, thank you for participating in the non sequitur roundtable. Uh, real quick, yes or no? Boondock Saints is it a good movie or a bad movie? Good movie. Yes. <laughs> Man, just admit it, even. Doc. My cinema, my cinematic reviews are far better than yours. No, I will, I will never. I will not relent. It's a bad movie. No offense, Garav. Dylan, it's a, it's a bad movie. It's a good movie. Everybody else likes it because it's fun. You know why Jeff Jones is my favorite? Because he hated Boondock Saints. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so that that really is the last question I have for you on that, man. Thank you so much for today. I know that we we went over. That's it's kind of what we do. But, oh, Scott, uh, I had a blast. Our good. our timelines, our time setups are, are more just a guideline than anything. It's more to keep us from going three hours. So if I ever tell you that we're going to do an, an hour and a half show, just say no because it's probably going to be a two and a half hour show. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us Garav. it was a ton of fun uh we'll have you on again soon i am sure as uh, it's always fun to get to talk to all of our buddies and give everybody some perspective it's always nice to get some of the other writers some of the other very talented writers around uh braves country in on the show we appreciate you joining for everybody else Garav, why don't you tell them where they can find you i'm sure they're already following you you're like the most popular member of braves country but whatever because <laughs> i'm not done retweets i, I know I'm reaching some really dumb things, but thank you so much. This is a, this is a lot of fun. I'm more than happy to come on anytime you want. We appreciate that. Everybody out there, thank you for making it all the way through this episode. It's been a lot of fun bringing it to you, Doc. I can't wait to do this again next week, sir. Likewise, buddy. I think that uh, I think this is episode number 13, 14, number 13. or we haven't even really gotten into a true argument yet. So That's right. Maybe, maybe next week is the week. This is a good relationship. It's like a month and a half, almost two months. No fighting yet. We're... We're, we're, we're going strong. Everybody out there, we hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. Make sure you're following us on iTunes, on Spotify, on TuneIn, and on a whole host of others. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at TPS underscore podcast. Thank you guys so much. We will be looking forward to bringing you another episode next week. Thanks, bye.